place tonight. Man, what a presence. So Lord, we just thank you as we go into prayer over this sermon time. I thank you for an open heaven, your glory here. And I thank you even now, the precious Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us. Everyone's going to be watching or listening to this. Your Holy Spirit is moving upon us, giving us good soil of hearts and minds and lives. I thank you, Lord, even now for speaking through me your words of life. Lord, living seeds of truth sown in a good soil by the water, by the Holy Spirit. These seeds will be sown into people's hearts and minds and lives and families. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you for your precious Holy Spirit helping us to lock in and focus and give you our best here, our full attention, our, our, our focus in every way that we're not going to be distracted or hindered. And I thank you, Lord, for everything being accomplished through this time in the Word that you will to be done. The Word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent forth to do. So I thank you, Lord, for the winds of your Spirit carrying this out among the nations. And the birds of the air try to steal the seed, so we take authority. We bind anything of the enemy that would try to hinder this in any way. Right now, you will go in Jesus' name and get your hands off this sermon, this in any way, trying to attack this, trying to hinder this. You will go in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Lord, for your angels just clearing away any type of resistance or warfare that's been trying to come against us or this service in any way or this sermon. And we thank you, Lord, for the victory in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, sometimes when God's moving real powerful, the devil wants to try to resist or hinder. All right, so I want to talk about tonight, part 10 of this sermon series I'm on called The God of Blood Covenant. And we've covered a lot of territory in this, and this is going to be part 10. Now, we had some technical difficulties come up last week to where we couldn't get a video of part 9, which is was a sermon on prayer. And so if you're looking at this on something like YouTube and you, you're wondering where part nine is, I just want to encourage you to go to sermon.net and look us up. Also, the same thing with podcast, either way, that you can look up the audio and just listen to part nine. It, it was a powerful sermon, I believe, will really help you on prayer. So tonight I'm going to dovetail on that, and we're going to look at fasting. Okay, so from this point, if y'all would just help me with this, it's a little moving around, let's try to focus in on this. So last, last week we talked about coming through the blood, the importance of prayer, how the enemy tries to hinder prayer in your life personally, and God is wanting us to press into him and have a personal prayer life. I believe that personally the most important thing that you can have in your Christian walk is a prayer life. Because the reason the Lord came, okay, so from the very beginning when he created Adam and Eve, and they were in the garden. The purpose of it was fellowship and relationship. Sin severed the relationship. And from that point, I mean, you see it all through the word. God even told in, in the days of Israel under the law, let them build me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. So God's heart was always to be among his people and to have a relationship. And so the most important thing you can have in your personal life is a relationship. And it's a prayer life that produces that relationship. And so I encourage you to learn how to pray. So we dealt with that last week. Now I'm going to talk about something very important that goes along with prayer, and that's fasting. Now, Jesus taught us when you give, not if, right? When you pray, not if you pray, but when, and when you fast. And so sometimes you, you talk to some people, and, and 
greater Christendom, and they, you start talking about something like fasting, and they, they look at you that your nose is upside down or something on your face, right? They just kind of stare at you like dumbfounded, you know, and I don't understand that, but I got touched in revival fire in the 90s, and so I guess uh, Christianity was kind of radical that I was involved in, but anyway, fasting is a normal part of your Christian life, okay? It's not something radical. Uh, just like a prayer life is not something that's just for special people. You're, all of us need to pray. So Jesus taught us that. Remember that when you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if you do it. So the Lord is expecting that those three things are going to be in our lives, and he gives us advice how to do it. So tonight I'm just going to focus in on fasting. There are answers to prayer that you're only going to get if you implement some fasting. I mean, there can be some stubborn things. When Jesus, the famous scripture everybody knows, these kind come out but by prayer and fasting. Let's just think about this. So Jesus was dealing with this situation. He comes down from the mountain. His disciples were trying to cast a demon out of this guy's kid. Now, this kid had a spirit of death. The reason I know that is because this thing was trying to kill him. It kept throwing him in the fire or the water, trying to drown him, etc. So it was something associated with premature death. How many knows the spirit of death can be a real stubborn spirit? And so the disciples were commanding this thing to leave, and they couldn't get the breakthrough. Jesus comes down, commands it to go. It comes out of him. And then his disciples asked him, well, how come we couldn't do this? Because you've got to understand the disciples' situation. He had sent them out before. Remember sending out the 70? I mean, there's different stories in the Word where we see that they were actively used of God to cast out demons and, and see healings. In Mark, it records that they would take anointing oil with them and they would go places, anoint, pray for people. They'd be healed, delivered of demons and all that. So, I mean, they had already seen these type of things before. And they were asking Jesus, what basically, if I could paraphrase, why is it that you sent us out in the past and we saw all these demons flee and people healed and, and then we get to this guy and we couldn't get this thing out for nothing. And Jesus said something very profound. He said, now, here's the thing. Again, I'm paraphrase, paraphrasing. He's saying, guys, now listen. It's because of your unbelief, but he said, but also these kind, so there's a certain kind only come out but by prayer and fasting sometimes there's really stubborn entrenched strongholds in people's lives and family bloodlines things in cities and regions things in nations that are entrenched they've been there for a long time they're stubborn there's like a strong man and the only way that you're really going to get a breakthrough is to implement some fasting okay now Something about fasting I want to point out. Some may ask, well, really, what is fasting anyway? I mean, where does this come from? Why is it even in the Bible? What's the power of it? I want you to think about something tonight that always stayed with me. What did Adam and Eve do that was sinful? They ate something that they were not supposed to eat. Fasting is the exact opposite of that in that you're not eating something that you're allowed to eat. Does that make sense? So God has implemented this, 
this thing we know as fasting where it has spiritual implications to it. Fasting is extremely powerful. It accomplishes so many things. And so I want to look at this tonight. I'm going to give you some examples. Now, fasting always has to do with food. But there is, I'm going to talk about a fast that's not just food, but maybe something else. But I want everybody to please hear me tonight because there's some things I think I'm going to talk about maybe you don't know or never really thought about. But fasting is food. When people talk about fasting and they're talking about, well, I'm going to fast Facebook or I'm going to fast TV, that's fine. But in the Bible, you're never seeing that type of example. And I realize they didn't have Facebook. They could fast something else that's not food, though, but they never did. It always involves some kind of food. And I'm going to tell you that food can have kind of a power over some people. I've seen it. I've seen some people that, that kind of have issues with this, and when they try to fast, they really have a hard time with it. It's almost like it just, I don't know, they, they really have almost like a freedom or a deliverance from something when they fast about food because it's, it seems like they may be in bondage to, to something there. I don't know if it's maybe a spirit of gluttony or something, but listen, there's a lot of Christendom that, that struggles with these type of things I'm talking about. Fasting will break the power of things that, that you don't even realize are in your life sometimes, you know? Um, so let me give you some scriptural examples of why fasting is important. In Genesis 27, verse 4, we see this. Abraham prayed, and God spoke to him, I'm going to make you father of nations. And he goes and births Ishmael on his own, and Ishmael's not the one. And so God speaks to him. Anyway, long and short of it, uh, his wife, Sarah, has a son, and they named him Isaac, which means laughter. And God told him, said, Isaac is going to be the one. Y'all look this way, hear me tonight. It's not, it's all, not all this is in the notes. And so it goes from Abraham to Isaac. And then here's the thing, though. When it's Isaac's turn to pass that generational blessing to like the chosen one. Isaac would have picked Esau. How could a man of God do something so foolish as to miss God on that level? We'd be reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Esau, which would have been a disaster because Esau didn't care nothing about God at all. This, this would have been a blunder of epic proportions, amen? So how did, how did Isaac miss God? Well, here's, here's something that came to me in Scripture reading this. When Isaac should have been praying and fasting and hearing from God, you know what Isaac was talking about? Esau, why don't you go hunting, get me some venison and make me a big old meal to eat and then I'll bless you. While Isaac should have been hearing from God, fasting and praying, he was pigging out, if you will. He was feasting. Contrawise, look at this. Jesus, when it came time to pick the 12, there was a multitude following Jesus. Jesus had to hear from God about which 12 out of hundreds he would pick. And he would, have, he would have missed God. I mean, if he didn't hear from God and he just randomly picked 12 people, you realize how disastrous that would have been to pick tw the 12 
wrong disciples we'd be reading about, right? But Jesus prayed all night, and by implication here, I believe he probably didn't eat anything because there was nobody cooking food, okay? They didn't have drive throughs at the Taco Bell back then. So when Jesus went up and prayed all night, he didn't eat, okay? And so Jesus spent the night praying and fasting before picking the 12 because he wanted to make sure that when it came to this type of a serious decision, that he was going to pick the right 12. Jesus even had to pick one that he knew would betray him. He had to pick Judas because it was foretold that there would be one that would betray him. He had to even hear from God about who that was going to be. You understand? So we see a difference here that Isaac was feasting while Jesus was fasting. And God had to work around Isaac to make the right decision. Now, here's another example. In 1 Samuel 4, 18, it records that Eli heard. You, you guys remember Eli? He was the high priest of Israel. He was the judge over Israel. He was a powerful man of God in many ways, but his sons did not care anything about God. They were evil, and they were his successors. They would have become the high priest over Israel. That's why God was so angry that Eli, Eli wouldn't deal with them because if Eli didn't remove them from the priesthood, the high priest of all of Israel would have been one of those wicked sons. But Eli heard that the ark was stolen. What does the ark represent? The presence of God, right? Eli heard the ark was stolen by the Philistines. Now, let's stop there for a moment. What does that represent? That means the glory left. Think about this for a minute. I remember Leonard Ravenhill said this one time. I'll never forget it. He was in a, a small setting. They had a camera on him, and they were asking about a particular denomination. And this particular denomination he was referring to used to have the glory. They were... a. a formed because of the great revivals like Azusa Street in the early days. And Leonard said this. He said, pretty much almost all of this denomination will meet this coming weekend and there will be no presence of God anywhere to be seen. He said, from the top down, they need to call a solemn assembly. They need to tell everybody, cancel service, get on your face. Let's humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and ask God to return his presence back. He said, if they would do that, they'd be surprised how much the presence of God will come back. And everybody knows he's right, but yet nobody did it. Think about this. So Eli was was somebody that lost the presence because he wouldn't deal with things. But notice what it says about Eli. This is something implied here. It says that when he heard the ark was stolen by the Philistines, he fell off his chair, broke his neck, and died because he was a very heavy man. You ever thought about the fact that Eli was probably not a man of prayer and fasting, but was probably kind of gluttonous in his life? On the other hand, in Exodus 32, while the golden calf incident was happening under Aaron's watch, what was Moses doing? He was on the mountain in prayer and fasting. And he could come down and deal with it and be an intercessor that helped clear away the sin and brought the presence of God. Eli lost the presence. Moses never lost the presence of God. Is this making sense tonight? We better be careful 
Because I was, I was reading in Ezekiel how God left the temple. If you ever read that slowly and really pay attention to it, his, God's presence lifted up off the temple, and the people never discerned that God was leaving. And the presence started moving away from the temple and would stop. It was like God was waiting for somebody to say, wait, wait, please don't go. They didn't even know he was leaving. His presence went further until eventually it's completely gone. I wonder how many places used to have the presence of God and have lost it and they don't even know it because they just go through their religious program every week. They don't miss it. Judges 16, 15 through 17. This stuck out to me too. Samson, probably one of the most powerful judges in the Bible, has more written about him in the book of Judges than most other judges that were in there. And Samson, though, missed God, lost the anointing, and ended up having to be blind in bondage to the enemy and died at the, really in many ways in captivity. And Samson had such a high calling yet failed in many ways so miserably because he was such a carnal person. You never read about Samson fasting and praying. All you read about him is he's lusting after going to these parties. He wants to party with the Philistines. He wants Philistine women in his life. He was, he was just a lustful, carnal, fleshly type person. Great calling on his life. And the interesting thing about Samson is this. He was called to be a Nazarite from birth. Did you know that a Nazarite was supposed to live a fasted life because they were not allowed to eat the, anything to do with the grape or the fruit of the vine. They couldn't drink any type of uh, grape juice. They couldn't eat the grape. So they lived like a partial fast all the time. Samson didn't care anything about it. He'd go to these parties, and you know as well as I do, he drank wine and didn't think anything of it. Samson also touched dead bodies, and he was, that was another Nazarite vow he wasn't supposed to do. And finally, the last thing was he's not supposed to cut his hair when he had his hair cut, that was the third thing he wasn't supposed to do. He broke his vow and God left him. Well, it's interesting. Now, when I look at this, you can't help but look at somebody like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a mighty man of God. People probably don't realize how much of a mighty man of God he really was. John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet. Did you ever think about that? He was the last Old Testament prophet. And he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And he was out there. He was the one of all the prophets. He was going to be the one that was going to close out the Old Testament and open up the Messiah and help bring in the New Testament. Isn't that awesome? But John the Baptist lived a fasted lifestyle. He also was a Nazarite from birth, like Samson, except that John was really faithful to it. And not only was John a Nazarite, but you can see about John the Baptist, it says this about him. It says, this same John's garments were made of camel's hair, and he wore a leather girdle about his waist, 
and his food was locusts and wild honey. So John lived a fasted life and that all he really ate was locusts and wild honey. He wasn't a gluttonous man. And while Samson failed in so many ways, John did not. Is this making sense tonight? God's going to give us seasons where he may call us to really fast for so many days where you just have water. And I mean, it's a real consecrated fast unto him. There's going to be times that he'll call you to seasons of fasting like that. And you need to do that. But you can't live that way all the time. And so something God taught me a long time ago was, what about living every week a fasted lifestyle where maybe one day of the week you fast or maybe throughout the course of the week you give up some things food-related that you're kind of living a lifestyle fasting. Now, that doesn't take away from the fact that periodically God may tell you for so many days, I just want you to have water or something, okay? There's seasons of that, and there's time for that. But those seasons come and go. But what about a lifestyle fasting? That's something God really put on my heart. And so I'll talk more about it as we go. But the benefits of fasting are this. How many knows that God needs to purge us individually and get us ready? I mean, there's, there's things in all of us. There's idols in our hearts. There's pridefulness. There's being easily offended. There's rebellious attitudes. God's got to deal with stubbornness. I mean, none of us would ever be stubborn, right? You know, fearfulness about things, controlling behavior, lustful eyes, sexual lust, lust in regard to money or materialism, lust for power, unforgiveness and bitterness, tendencies to hold grudges, anger issues, instability, addictions. Jezebel and Ahab tendencies. But I'm going to tell you, as you fast and pray, God can help deal with those things and get them out of you. Amen? But I believe that a lot of that will be the fasting. There's been times in my life that God really put on my heart to fast, and God really began to purge something that had been a battleground. Things I'd really prayed about, I said, Lord, what is the deal here? Why is, why is this battleground so stubborn? Why is this frustrating like this? And as I began to, to consecrate a little bit of a fast, God began to just clear it. Fasting just took care of it. You know, and y'all remember Ruby and Addie and how they, these older women that taught me how to pray and all that. And Ruby told me this. She said, Scott, she said, you know, fasting is so powerful. She said, there's never been a thing that I really needed God to come through and do for me that he didn't do if I would pray and fast. So she told me. She said, but, she said, at the same time, it doesn't always take like, you know, seven days. She said, there's times I just fasted a meal and really sought God during that time, and God answered my prayer. Well, it's not always these extended things. And we need to be careful sometimes because we go into it zealous and say, for 14 days, Lord, I commit. I am Well, once you commit, <laughs> you have committed. But if you'll just go into it and say, Lord, I feel you're calling me to a fast, and I'm going to do this until you release me, I think you're a lot better off. Amen. But there's different fasts in the Bible. There's one called the Esther fast. This was life or death. I mean, Esther and the people of Israel were facing certain death. And so it was dire. 
And during this time, Esther said, I'm going to do this. Let the people know we're not going to eat or drink anything for three days. No food, no water, no nothing. And the people fasted and God delivered them. That's a, that's a fast for crisis. There may be, you're going along one day and all of a sudden, God forbid, but all of a sudden you get, get a call that, you know, one of your children was in a car wreck and they're in ICU, they're hanging in the balance. They're between life and death. They don't know if they're going to make it or not. All of a sudden, how many knows food and drink are not important? It's a crisis fast. And you're like, Lord, I'm not eating or drinking anything. And you cry out to God. The second one is a Daniel fast. This is kind of what I'm talking about, living a fasting lifestyle throughout the week, giving up some things. Again, fasting is food-related. But Daniel still ate. But here's what he did. Daniel fasted meat. And how many knows that is a fast? Amen. How many meat lovers out there other than me? Daniel fasted meat and he fasted sweets. And he also fasted the fruit of the vine. And he, here's, here's what's not food related. And he didn't put lotion on his body. Now, Daniel must have had him some kind of dry skin issue. Amen. But he didn't use lotions. So you see here that he still was eating his fruits and vegetables and all that. He still had some food, but he was doing a partial fast. He did this for 21 days, and it really broke through for him. Because the first day he committed himself to prayer and fasting, God had already sent Gabriel, but Gabriel was being hindered in the second heaven by a, a principality. And so because Daniel kept praying and fasting, God sent Michael. And Michael knocked that thing off Gabriel <laughs> and got Gabriel down to Daniel. But it took prayer and fasting. But it was a partial fast. So what I'm getting at is this. Ask the Lord about this. But anytime you fast, even just a meal, there's something so powerful. I'm telling you, it causes an increase of answer prayers and breakthroughs. All right, another fast is just for one day. And this is a fast for spiritual examination and growth. And you see this every year at Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, God commanded to fast. It was a 24-hour period. That's Leviticus 23, 27. There's something really powerful just about one day of fasting. Another thing is the morning and evening fast. This was interesting to me when I studied this. Israel was told, go to war against Benjamin because Benjamin was allowing sin. And so when you pray and ask God, shall we go to war? And God says, go. And you go to war and lose? Israel was frustrated. And so, wait a second, now we prayed and you told us to go and we just lost. And we're the bigger group here against little Benjamin and we still lost. So God, they pray again, shall we go up again? And God said, go, and they lost again. And so finally, Israel prayed, and this is in Judges 20, verse 26. They prayed and it says they fasted from morning to evening. And then they said, Lord, shall we go? <laughs> and the Lord said, go, you'll be victorious. And after they fasted, they got the victory. See, Benjamin had allowed some sin in the camp, and I believe the devil was involved in that. 
And what Israel probably didn't realize was they were not just fighting flesh and blood. Did everybody hear that? A lot of times people don't realize that they're dealing with something physically like this. And they say, Lord, shall I do this? And the Lord says, go, I'm with you. And then they don't get the breakthrough. What they don't realize is, is that they're not just dealing with something in the natural. They're dealing with something spiritual behind the scenes. Now, I believe that's what was going on. Another thing is a fast to avoid judgment. This is interesting. When King Ahab, of all people, probably Israel's most infamous evil king, Elijah told Ahab, basically, you're a dead man. God is judging you, and he's going to wipe out your family. And you know what Elijah did? I mean, uh, Ahab. Ahab clothed himself in sackcloth and ashes and wept before the Lord. The most evil king there ever was. And God said, have you not seen the way Ahab humbled himself before me? Therefore, I'm not going to do it while he's alive. God showed mercy to Ahab. So there is a fast before the Lord to avoid judgment. And let me tell you, what about in America if there's imminent judgment because of sin? What if God's people would humble ourselves and pray and do some fasting? There's also a fast for deliverance. Matthew 17, 21, as I talked about, these kind come out but by prayer and fasting. There's a man of God told a story where a preacher had come in, true story, and there was somebody there that was demonized, and the demon rose up in this guy and said, you can't cast me out because you've, you're too full. You've been eating... So the, the minister really felt like, okay, you know what? I'll be back in a couple of days. He goes and fasts, comes back, and that demon starts screaming, no, no, get him out of here, and that thing fled. So there is something about fasting that helps bring deliverance from demonic power. There's also a fast for healing. Isaiah 58.8, which I quote a lot, he said, if you'll fast, and again, there's the five, the five things that go together, humility, prayer, fasting, giving, and deeply consecrating our lives, if we'll implement those five things together. Isaiah 58 kind of gives you a glimpse in that, and it says this, one of the promises is that your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing quickly appear. So there is an arising and shining. There's some kind of a, I will arise with healing in my wings type of promise to those that will fast. There's healing. And I wonder sometimes if some healing that's been so stubborn and so frustrating isn't really demonic in nature because Jesus dealt with it many times. I mean, how many times did Jesus intermix deliverance and healing together? But that one, one time that sticks out to me is the woman who had some kind of a back problem and she was hunched over and had to walk like that. And Jesus went over to her and said, woman, you're free from this. And a demon left her. And she stood up and they got mad at him because he prayed for her on the Sabbath. But he said, should not this daughter of Abraham, who's been bound all these years by this spirit of infirmity, be set free on the Sabbath day? But she was healed, but really she was delivered. You see? Also, there's a fast for seeking direction. Paul and Barnabas. So when Paul got saved, he went and sought the Lord for years, and he ends up coming back to a place called Antioch. Now, Antioch was 
let me try to explain it this way. So many people, even if you haven't gone to Los Angeles, would be familiar with this. How many have heard of Chinatown? Okay. Even though it's in L.A., if you go there, you're going to think that you flew to China. I mean, it's just exactly like, and that's kind of how Antioch was Jewish. It was like a very Jewish area. And so Paul and Barnabas were Jews. They were there, but it was, it, they had a, a, a Jewish Messianic type church there in Antioch. It's a powerful church, Jew and Gentile together. But Paul and Barnabas and the leaders there, prophets and teachers, began to really seek the Lord. Read this, it's powerful. They began to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. This was a powerful church. And while they prayed and fasted one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. They laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and sent them out. And out of that church in Antioch birthed Paul's ministry that launched him out to all those churches that he planted among the Gentiles. But it came out of that church in Antioch. That's where it all started. And it was birth and prayer and fasting. So my point is, is that powerful ministries. Did you know that in the 40s and 50s that just about every healing minister that was used mightily, like people like Oral Roberts, but I don't remember, I, I preached on this, and I don't remember how many, but there was like a couple hundred powerful evangelists back then. Remember me talking about that, the revivals of the 40s and 50s? Almost every one of them, their miracle ministry birthed in a uh, time of prayer and fasting. Isn't that something? So it, it released them into their destiny, into their ministry. It kind of birthed a mighty anointing and a calling and a destiny on their life. That I mean, they were called from birth, but God, it seemed that God released them into it through prayer and fasting. And maybe the anointing came forth for it in prayer and fasting. Also... Jesus fasted 40 days. It was a water-only fast in Matthew 4, 1 through 2, but that's for dominion. And you need to make sure you've heard from God before going on a 40-day fast with just water, but of course you can do it. I had a professor back in Bible school. I love him very much. He was my favorite professor, and he was a, a pastor of a church. And he was one of the most kind men. And I just really enjoyed his class. And I went to his church for a time. And I remember, though, because he was a kind of a heavyset guy, I remember that all of a sudden I noticed, you know, Brother So-and-so was getting skinnier by the day. And then I started noticing, though, he was wearing some really old suits from the 60s. I'm talking about plaid and all that with the big, giant collars, you know. And I was like, man, what's that? He's trying to do a fashion statement. I noticed he's getting skinnier. And, and I, I started thinking, I wonder if he's fasting. And he started losing so much weight, he couldn't wear his normal suits. He'd go back and get suits back from the 60s. And, but anyway, so he went on this 40-day fast, and God really touched his life during that time. And let me tell you one of the testimonies of many that came out of it. I remember going to his church during that time. This was the time, two of the 90s revivals. I got hit with a sickness, I mean, right, right before church or whatever. It was like maybe the night before. And so I was there. I felt like I was really doing bad, but it was kind of a sudden thing, you know. And I was sitting there in service, and I was just keeping to myself away from anybody. 
But I was just there listening to the sermon. I was going to go home. And the Holy Spirit began to really move. Now, he had been in prayer and fasting, right? And so he was coming down, and he was just praying for people. They're getting hit by the power. And he gets kind of close to me, and I got up to get, just to get prayer just kind of quietly because I was really, I was not doing good. And so I was just kind of standing there, and he prayed for me. And I think he might have asked me, and I said, so I was just healing. He prayed for me, and I hit the ground. But I remember feeling like healing virtues shoot through me. And I got up off the floor and sat down. I was like, man, I'm feeling better already. And by the end of service, I was doing pretty good. And I went out to eat. And by the end of the day, I was 100%. But it was during that season of prayer and fasting in his life that birthed greater, a greater healing ministry. And I saw him years later. He recognized me, and we talked some. And he's, he's, he's just such a good guy. And I was telling him that story. He had never heard the story. He's like, oh, man, I remember that, you know. It's like, remember those old suits you started wearing, brother? And, and how you, God was, uh, you prayed for me and I was healed. And it was just a lot of fun talking about all that. All right, so a couple things as well. The Nazarite vow, as I mentioned, was also a fast, a partial fast. Did you know there's a national fast to avert judgment and see revival? Man, if we would do that in America, if all the churches, all of Christendom would just really pray and fast. You know, when sometimes in times of crisis, people do things. As I remember seeing video footage when Russia invaded the Ukraine, and I saw video footage of a lot of the Christians were gathered in like town squares and everything, and they had been in prayer and fasting, crying out to God. And you know, I believe God has heard their prayers because Russia has had a very difficult time. I believe God has been fighting for, you know, helping the Ukraine because they're crying out to him from the oppression. But look at the national fast that Jonah, when he went to Nineveh, he didn't want to. He hated those Assyrians because they were coming in and slaughtering all the Jews, and they were brutal. So God says, I want you to go to Nineveh, one of their capital cities, and I want you to, to preach to them because I want to have mercy. And, and Jonah said, there's no way I'm going to these heathen that hate us and been slaughtering all these Jews. And I'm not going to go there and preach them anything nice. But anyway, long and short of it, you know the story he went. But Nineveh, from the greatest to the least, humbled themselves in prayer and fasting. They wouldn't even let their animals eat. <laughs> they, made the, they made their donkeys and cows and everybody fast. So they all fasted. Well, I imagine the donkeys were glad whenever they all didn't get destroyed by God, right? But they all fasted and prayed and judgment was averted, and it was a great revival of repentance. And then finally, that leads me into Joel 1 through 2. If you want to study a really powerful passage on the power of fasting, you ought to read Joel 1 and then Joel 2, because Joel the prophet saw God allowing this because of Israel's sin, that the enemy like these military forces were coming in like locusts. And they were just destroying cities. I mean, they were coming in and just annihilating cities. And, and Joel describes these military forces of like the Midianites, Moabites, whoever it was, they were coming in and they, they were just ravishing the land. And Joel said this, after it describes all of it in Joel 2, he says, call a solemn assembly. 
from the greatest to the least and cry out to God and call it a, a corporate prayer and fast before God. If you'll do this, perhaps he'll hear and bless you. And then he starts giving promises that would come. He said, if, if you'll do this, will not God be merciful and drive away this army that's been against you? And God will release again the grain, the new wine, the oil, the former latter rains, and he'll pour out his spirit and he'll restore all those years the locusts have eaten. What promises? This is so powerful. And it's connected to, I will pour out my spirit. And Peter quoted this on the day of Pentecost. There, there's something to the power of prayer and fasting that if you'll really study this out, and I have, there's a promise if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. But if you put together that with Joel 1 and 2 and Isaiah 58, basically, here's the promises in a nutshell. If we will really humble ourselves in prayer and fasting and really seek him, consecrate our lives and, and be givers and all that we're supposed to do, God says, I will drive away your enemies that's been coming against you. I will release in your life the grain, the new wine, the oil, and former latter rains. That's, that's God restoring all those things the devil has stolen. How many want to see restoration? And he said, I will pour out my spirit. And he goes on to say things like this. And not only, Isaiah 58, not only will I restore to you, but he said, I'll use you to be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins that the devil tore down in your city and in your region. Raise up those foundations again that the devil just ravished. Repair the breach, even in bloodlines. Will you not be among those that will restore the ancient ruins? The devil is coming to steal, kill, and destroy in your family bloodline. You could be among those that see revival and restoration in your family, in your city, churches that would commit themselves to prayer and fasting. Could we not be among those that would see the enemy push back and God restore again the ancient ruins in that city. What was this city supposed to have? What has the devil come in to steal? And I don't know why I'm rabbit chewing on this, but I feel this in my, in my spirit. There's something, I was thinking about this, and there's no judgment against generations or anything, but the baby boomer generation was probably the last generation really truly to know, and I'm talking about Pentecostal spirit-filled people, okay? Probably the last generation to really truly know the depth of, of deep intercession, groaning and travailing in the spirit, seeing the a mighty move of God in their churches of, of tongues, interpretation, prophecy, uh, powerful gifts at work. It was like it was a lot more commonplace, especially here in the South, a lot more common among Pentecostal churches in the baby boomer generation that they saw this through the, you know, the 20s, 30s, all the way through, um, I would say up into the 80s and 90s. But Kenneth Hagin warned us it was not carefully guarded and carefully passed. My generation, Generation X, there was some of us that really received this. I did, but there were many that didn't. And I remember in the 90s, Powerful preachers I respect saying, you know what? I'm traveling the nation. I'm going to Pentecostal churches. 
and, and it concerns me what I see because they said even the pastor's kids are not speaking in tongues anymore. And I remember hearing those words from people. They're, these spirit-filled churches are supposed to be spirit-filled. You're not seeing the gifts in operation like we used to. And they were trying to warn us. They were warning the baby boomers, you better make sure you're passing it to the next generation, which was my generation. But somewhere between the baby boomers now and the millennials, it was lost. And anybody knows anything about football, you can carry the football, but when you go to pass it to the next guy and hand it to him, if he fumbles the ball, the other teams, the enemy's going to recover that. It was not carefully passed like it should have been, and it's like the enemy stole something. And there's some good things out there, but, but yet I'm trying to say this the right way where nobody gets mad at me. There's, there's a younger generation that they're really excited about the worship, and they'll enter in, and, it, and it's good worship. I love modern worship but they don't know the deep things of the spirit at all. It's just excitement without there being a real depth. And they don't realize that. And I'm not even saying it's 100% their fault because it wasn't really carefully passed to them. What does the Bible say? The older train up the younger. I don't think that they was training and equipping. I think that maybe it was assumed that they, they had it, but it was lost. And so we don't see that depth that we used to. Like Pastor Ralph was talking about when he was growing up, back in like the, the 60s or whatever. Remember, he's talking about his um, bell bottoms and all that. It's a funny story. But anyway, he was talking about that. But he said when he was growing up, think about what I'm saying here. When he was growing up in just a mainline Pentecostal church, it wasn't a, a special church. This was just a normal Pentecostal church. He said he would go into the sanctuary sometimes and he said it as a child, it kind of freaked him out a little bit because he would hear all those intercessors that used to come before church and they'd be in there praying in the spirit and groaning and travailing. That's why God used to move. And the move of God isn't really strong right now, but it's because the deeper things of the spirit have not been passed to him. So think about what I'm saying. If we will pray and fast, we'll be among those that rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up those age-old foundations again to see the things, not just that, but many things that the devil's stolen, we can see that restored. And then it goes on to say that you'll call to me and I will answer you. In Isaiah 58, did you know there's a promise when you intermingle humility and fasting? Like, the Lord says, I will really answer you if you do this the right way. Major answers to prayer, significant answers. And he says, you'll cry out to me and, you'll, and I'll say, here I am. How many want God's nearness? The Bible says God knows the proud man from afar. But humility brings God close. See, Derek Prince always taught this. He said that all, all of us, have a sin nature we all have some pride but he said the scriptural way that we humble ourselves is fasting and it's true hope everybody's hearing me tonight because all of us need to learn god how do i humble myself before you it seems to be through prayer and some fasting that god even showed mercy to ahab 
after Elijah, one of Israel's greatest prophets, told him, you're a dead man. And, and Elijah, I mean, Ahab goes and he humbles himself. And God says, I see his humility. Even the wickedest king Israel ever had. And God says, I see his humility, so I'm going to push back the judge. This brings some kind of a mercy, a nearness of God, answer prayers when we really humble ourselves before him in prayer and fasting. And David Hogan always said, if I can humble myself, humble my soul in prayer and my body in fasting, I know that there's not a thing God has promised me that he will not do for me. How powerful is that? So <clears throat> it goes on to say, he would make us as well-watered gardens. <coughs> Isaiah 58. Well-watered gardens has to do with the tree planted by the waters. You know what that is? Revival. How many want to live in perpetual revival? Perpetually refreshed. And then, of course, as I've already quoted, light breaking forth like the dawn, our healing appearing, righteousness go before us, the glory is a rear guard. There's healing. So there's so many promises that we'll humble ourselves in prayer and fasting. And let me just close by giving you a couple quick things in the scriptures. <clears throat> First Corinthians 9, 27 He said, I beat my body. He's talking about bringing it into subjection and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You know, Paul said, I've got to bring my flesh under so I'm, I'm not a castaway. Paul lived in a, fear of, a healthy fear of God that people don't like that word even though it says about Jesus in the word of God, he delights in the fear of the Lord. Anyway, a lot of people don't like that. But Paul had a good, healthy fear of God that he's like, you know what? After I preach to others, I myself could become a castaway. He said, I have to beat my body down under subjection and come bring my flesh under. How many people are living according to the flesh way too much? How do we bring our flesh under? One of the ways you can do that is fasting. And then another thing is John 4, 32. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Do you remember that when he went to the woman at the well? And they were saying, Jesus, you need to eat because he had been fasting. And Jesus said, I have food that you don't know of. Look at what it says about Jesus in Isaiah 7, 15. He will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse evil and choose good. There was something about, like John the Baptist, a kind of a, a fasting that it says about Jesus. Did y'all catch that? Because I think that can easily be missed. It says in Isaiah about Jesus, he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse good from evil. Jesus lived kind of a partial fast at times. It says that, that helped him distinguish between things. He was growing and sharpening him. Do you remember it said about Jesus? He grew in stature before God and man. I would imagine that this fasting was part of that. And then uh, Matthew 6, 17 through 18, your father in heaven will see what's done in secret and reward you. You know, of all the things I learned so much from Steve Hill, but one of the things he said to his, his children, his spiritual children was, 
focus on pleasing the Lord in the secret place and then let him worry about honoring you publicly. You focus on honoring God in, the, in private. God will take care of publicly honoring you. That's what Jesus said. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And he gave examples. He said, when you fast and pray and all that, don't do it for everybody to see. Close yourself away and you're doing it before the Lord. And if you'll do it the right way, he said, God will reward you openly. And then we know how to fast. Humility, prayer, fasting, giving, consecration. There's something about our prayers and our giving. Now, I know River of Life is a giving church, so this is just to encourage you. But Cornelius, think about this for a minute. How many of you have ever had an angel sent from God's throne to stand in front of you and give you a promise? Anybody? I haven't yet. All right, so Cornelius was praying, and all of a sudden this angel shows up in front of him. And it says, Cornelius, you can only imagine how scared he probably was at first, right? But the angel says, Cornelius, think about what I'm saying here. Your prayers and your giving, your financial giving, has gone up before God as a memorial offering. Now send for Peter. Really think about this scripture for a moment. God thought enough of Cornelius to send an angel to him. And the angel said, the reason I'm here is because your prayer life and because of your giving has so pleased God that God sent me here to you. And God told me to tell you to get Peter here. When Peter came, Cornelius had invited everybody, all of his family and friends, and the Holy Spirit fell on all of them the same as the day of Pentecost. So in other words, a great revival broke out among his entire family and all their friends and everything. But it had to do with their, his prayer life and his giving. Don't ever think that your giving is insignificant because God takes note of it. And then as we keep reading this, let me just give you a couple more things. Be led by the spirit and not your flesh. So here's some promises I believe that go along with living a lifestyle prayer and fasting and seasons of maybe really intense fasting. But this, God will help us to learn to be led by the Spirit. How many knows that we've got to be led by the Spirit? God will also help us that our motives in fasting need to be right. That's one of the things I was just having a conversation the other day. You know, there's been a fad now, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's a fad about fasting to lose weight, and it'll work. But if you're fasting to lose weight, when you lose the weight, you've got your reward. Hello. So your motives have got to be pure. You need to be fasting for the Lord and for the right reasons. Or also, don't commit going in for a certain time. That's just some advice I would give you. During a fast, expect to be a little bit tired and weak and maybe a little moody. <laughs> also, don't do a lot of strenuous work and exercise. Don't try to be a hero and fast for three days and then lift weights, okay? I don't want to be visiting you in the ER because <laughs> you were fasting and praying and thought you need to go work out, all right? And then also when you're coming off a fast, I mean, it was, that's not the time 
to go to the Texas Roadhouse and buy a steak. So if you've been fasting for a couple weeks or something, your stomach, it's called your stomach going to sleep, you know, and you haven't eaten for a long period of time, you don't need to come off of that with some Cajun food, which I really like some Cajun food. I remember, let me tell this. So David Hogan did a lot of fasting, and I really respect him. He a lot of fasting. And one time he said he had been on this 21-day fast, and he was several days into it. I mean, he was probably something like 14 days into it, and he went to preach somewhere. But they in the back were making chili, and, you know, us from the south, we don't do these abominations where in the north, don't they do noodles in their chili? We're praying for you all right now here in the South, okay? But anyway, so he, they made some, I mean, some good chili. And he's in there trying to preach. He had been fasting for several days, and he's smelling this chili. He said, he said I just, um, I fell into temptation. He said, I'm being honest. I went back there, grabbed me some cornbread, and I started wolfing down that chili. And he said, it was the best chili I've ever eaten in my life until I got back to my hotel room. <laughs> I know, my wife's back there. Yeah, because, I mean, we've all done dumb things like this. Anyway, he said, I rolled around the floor for like an hour. He said, I thought I was going to die. So that's, that's what you don't do, okay? Let's learn right there. When you come off a fast, don't eat a big bowl of chili. So you need to come off of it gently, uh, maybe some fruit juices for a day or two, and then maybe some oatmeal, etc. kind of work your way back into it, Okay. Or you might find yourself rolling around the ground thinking you're going to die like Brother David, all right? So the shorter the fast, the easier it is to come off of it. But if you've been, you've been fasting for like 40 days, you do not want to eat some Cajun food or some chili coming off that thing. So use, let's use some smarts. All right, so the effects of fasting is it will change you. How many knows that you are really impacted? When you pray and fast and really seek God deeply, you're going to be different. It will also help bring major breakthroughs and answer prayers and great restoration. So remember what I said about John the Baptist. There are seasons of fasting that God will put us on. If we'll ask him, he'll give us seasons of fasting where you may go several days without eating. But as a lifestyle, I think it's more powerful and more important that we live like a lifestyle prayer and fasting. That's why we have the Watchmen program. How many of you guys are Watchmen with me? Thank you, guys. Please be faithful with that. Please be consistent with that because we need your prayers. But every day of the week, we have somebody that's fasting that day from morning to, after, to evening, whatever. You know, you're just fasting throughout the day and seeking God. And we all have a big list we're praying over. I'm going to tell you something. God honors that, and he's doing it. I believe there's a lot more. We're so used to it. I think there's a, a hedge of protection about us because of all the prayer and fasting. I really do. And here's the thing. I'll close with this. There was a guy one time preaching. He said, you know, he said, when you stop praying like you should, he said, you're not going to notice it right off the bat because you're still walking in all those answered prayers for a while. But eventually, you're going to notice it. Does that make sense? If you stop praying or you stop fasting, or you stop doing certain disciplines you really should be doing, you're not going to notice it the first week or two. But a year down the road, 
you're going to look back and think, my God, it's so different than it used to be. I need to get back to that, you see. So let's just think about what I'm saying and pray about this. But in your own personal prayer life, if you'll implement some fasting, you know, be wise about it. Let God lead you. But it's not going to hurt any of us in America to give up some meals here and there. Your ribs are not going to cave in. You're not going to die. You will survive it. And it probably do us some good here in America to do some fasting. Amen? So as we start maybe implementing that, and I encourage people on your own, how many of you guys really have, if you're going to be honest, say, Pastor Scott, you know, I really do have some lost loved ones, and I have some serious prayer requests that I know I really need God to answer it may be some stubborn health battle. It may be stubborn financial that you've been praying about something for a while and it's been stubborn. I encourage you to make a list of things that you really need a breakthrough in your own personal life and then implement some fasting. I mean, maybe just one day a week. You could add it in with the day you're already doing the watchman but implement some prayer and fasting and really get alone with God and pray about it. And I guarantee you that it's gonna, that fasting will help bring the breakthroughs in those stubborn areas, okay? So, Lord, we thank you for this word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. I thank you, Lord, for moving mightily in every life and this deep work you're doing in all of us. And, Lord, I ask you to help us to be a people a prayer and fasting, like we talked about humility, prayer, fasting, being faithful in our giving, and being faithful to consecrate our lives unto God. Help us, Lord, to live a lifestyle of that that will produce tremendous breakthroughs and miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we're going to just go maybe to a screen. Those are live stream, and we're going to pray with people. But here's what I felt to do. How many felt that after the worship? I mean, just the Lord come in. Listen, there's something. I'm going to pray with, for those that want prayer. But there's something with you intercessors.